Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Kia Studios. Halfway home on this when, uh, th- sorry Thursday evening with you. 404-726-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of this show. Well, SEC Media Day is wrapping up as uh, Josh Heupel, Shane Beamer. Um, they all spoke uh, today. Um, who's the other guy that spoke? I, I just uh, Lane Kiffin uh, spoke. Um, let's head up the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk to my friend Chris Goforth. He's been in Nashville covering the SEC Media Days for us on the radio station. And, of course, he is on Twitter at Chris Goforth1. Chris, my friend, appreciate the time. Thanks uh, for a few minutes tonight. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm not halfway home, John. I am all the way home. So it's uh, it's it's been a, a fun and a fast-paced uh, four days, but it it's it's good to um, – good to be in some comfy clothes and in the recliner for a little while yeah i mean look you know it's not that much longer of a drive for you than when you come down to atlanta and drive back up to chattanooga right i mean it's maybe what uh not even what not even two hours maybe more uh it's uh for me it's a little over two hours it's probably about two hours and 20 minutes to get to nashville uh, it's a bit more of a – it's a drive that I don't enjoy as much because you've got Mont Eagle Mountain and it's, you know, it's not as easy. Now, the drive for me, uh, you know, I can be to Midtown in, in just over an hour. Mm. Uh, you know, if I really get on it, I can be to Midtown in, in an hour and 15 minutes. You sure you want the cops to know that uh, how fast you drive? I mean, well, anyway, um... well that's, you know, we'll, we'll keep my plate number a secret. <laughs> Hey, I was uh, I was laughing because I saw USA Today's um, Florida Gators uh, website, I guess Gators Wire, uh, part of the yeah. USA Today network. They, uh, it's funny because we were talking about Billy Napier last night. They had Billy Napier as one of the losers um, of SEC Media Days, and and the quote was, "For as thrilling as Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman was on stage." Napier was the opposite. From his prolonged opening statement to the coach speak field answers, there was little enthusiasm or humor from Napier. It's representative of the energy surrounding the Gators heading into his second year at the helm. Florida went 6-7 and seven last season and has its win total at 5.5, according to DraftKings. So you were all over that um, because, you know, again, um, you know, I we you and I – and and Randy all kind of scratched our head. We saw that billboard right at at um, the SEC championship game, and we saw that big right. billboard with Billy Napier welcoming 
to, you know, Atlanta and all that. And it was just like, wow, I hope they got the right guy. But, you know, again, he was listed as one of the losers for SEC Media Day. Yeah, I just, you know, John, it's one of those things. And I look, he's from Chatsworth. He's from Murray County. Um, you know, I've, I've had talked to his dad before. His dad's a, a long time uh, and legendary high school football coach in, uh, in North Georgia. His brother is the head coach at, at Murray County now. They're a great football family. And, and his, you know, and I, I think all three of those guys are, are class people. You know, uh, I think Billy Napier is a class act as a human being. It just feels like he's in a little bit over his head. Uh, and it's kind of like, well, you know, I talked to you last night about some of the comments that he had that just kind of, you know, it's it's sort of him saying that without saying that and, and talking about last year about how, you know, they kind of weren't prepared for the speed of the recruiting process and how quickly you have to make evaluations on guys and make offers to guys it moves so much faster at the power five level than the group of five but it's even faster than that i think in a place like the sec where it's so competitive uh to be able to land those top recruits and i just you know it's it's really it's wild to think that the one loss total for florida is it you know, five and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm at dinner last night with some guys from various places around the, uh, the conference. And the consensus was, yeah, bet the under when wow. it comes to Florida. Wow. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it, it is crazy. Um, you know, we saw Shane Beamer speak today. I know you like him. I like him. I mean, I think we all like Shane Beamer. I think he's done a really good job there. And, you know, again, they have plenty of challenges and especially, you know, in that state with, you know, still the monster that, that is Clemson. And, and look, you know, last year, only four teams in the SEC won more games in conference than, than uh, South Carolina. That would be Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and LSU. That's the only four teams that had more wins than South Carolina in conference. They finished eight and five. You know, it's, it's one thing to kind of come out of nowhere, but it's another thing to try to build a consistent winner. And I know Shane Beamer wants that, but – you know, it is challenging there. I think this is an important year for the South Carolina program to capitalize on having a Spencer Rattler back and and really just trying to build off their success from last year. If they take a big step backward, you know, again, it I don't even know where South Carolina will be at that point. Well, and just to kind of expound upon what you said and, you know, how much, you know, you and I both really like him. Garrett Chapman was sitting next to me uh today while Beamer spoke and and Garrett leaned over and he goes how do you not want to play for this guy when you hear him talk I mean he's just he's just got that kind of presence and personality about him you talk about the this year being an important year for them uh look he's got that South Carolina fan base amped season ticket sales at South Carolina are up 106 percent so he has got that fan base believing it all comes back around you know the best stat I think and it's not a complimentary one but it's the best stat that exemplifies where South Carolina is no one has committed more turnovers the last two years than South Carolina has Mm. they've thrown more interceptions and they fumbled more times than any other team in the SEC is 
the last two years, if they can just hold on to the ball, John, they're going to be a lot better. Dow Loggins takes over, a new offensive coordinator, a guy that frankly doesn't have a lot of college ties. I'll see how this works. He's more of a pro guy. As a matter of fact, he spent a he spent a couple of years in Nashville with the Tennessee Titans. That's his background is more in the National Football League rather than being in college ball. I'm interested to see a what this offense looks like, but how he kind of fits in. You know, as as Sam Pittman said yesterday, I think it's one of the best quotes of the week from Sam Pittman. He said, you know, in in the the portal world that we live in you better have some guys on your staff that can recruit because if you can't, you're going to be gone. You know, and go ahead. be interested to see how well this guy can recruit there. And, and you know, uh, Chris, when you look at their schedule, you know, they start off with North Carolina. Who's got, you know, again, I don't know if he's going to be the number one pick, but he'll be, he'll be freaking close. I mean, I know that. I mean, he'll yeah. be, he'll be maybe real close Georgia at, you know, you're at Georgia, you're at Tennessee, home with Florida, at A&M, uh, Clemson to finish off the year. I mean, I know they had a miraculous run, but I'm telling you, that schedule is not very easy for South Carolina, and there's there's a lot of opportunity to stub their toe along the way. And, you know, I wonder if they can meet the expectations that are now being set for what that program is. Well, I think it's going to be tough, especially, you know, you mentioned playing Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, you're going to play uh, Clemson again with their traditional rival there at the end. Those are two teams they kind of jumped up and beat last year that I guarantee you uh, in Dabo Sweeney's office and in, in Josh Heifel's office, those two game days probably have big red circles drawn around them. Uh, they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year, that's for sure. Chris for joining me here. He was uh, live in Nashville this week for SEC Media Days, pre-post and halftime host for Atlanta Falcons radio network on the waitfor.com hotline here. We saw Lane Kiffin today. I, here's how I describe Lane Kiffin is Lane Kiffin looked like one of the flunkies that was hanging around Al Cervic at Bushwood <laughs> country club. I mean, he looked, he, I mean, yeah. the, the polo and the jacket. I mean, my God, I mean, he looked like he was on a three day bender with Rodney Dangerfield back in the eighties. I mean, he, he he looked like the total disheveled frat boy, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, again, he he would have fit right into Bushwood with some of those flunkies. I mean, just, again, I, look, um, they're going to be an interesting team as well because, you know, they, they had a nice year. I mean, they, you know, the eight and five, you know, on the season. They won four games um, in the SEC. Um, they had one of the most dominant rushing teams, you know, in the SEC Last year, their quarterback play was, I think, really below average. I mean, I thought, you know, they they did not get a lot out of their quarterbacks, but um, but you know, they were able to run the football. They're going to be an interesting team. I mean, they've got Tech coming in, you know, this year to their place, and you know, they had to go to Tech last year. But you know, again, they're another one of those teams that they feel like you know they're kind of middling in the SEC, but you know, they could still maybe finish in that top half of the conference. He was pretty open today in in talking about last year and the fact that uh, he said that he himself did not do a good job at the end of the year last year of keeping that team together. And he said, I think it's one of the 
one of the things that you face when you have a lot of portal guys on your team, he goes, everything's great and everybody's getting along when you're winning. But he said, all of a sudden, when you face some adversity and you're losing a couple of games, he said, that's when, you know, culturally things can really turn. Sounds like that's kind of what happened last year at, at Ole Miss. Now I did get a chance, John, to talk to Quinshawn Judkins, uh, Judkins today the guy that you, I think you and I both really, really like. You yeah. talk about a, a kid that is absolutely put together. I mean, he is hey, unbelievable. He is huge. And to uh, know how well that guy can run, uh, you know, he, he's got his sights set. He ran for more yards last year as a freshman in the SEC than anybody in the history of the league except Herschel Walker. So that's the kind of company that he's in. I think he's going to have a, another tremendous year. He talked to me a little bit today about being more involved in the passing game uh, at Ole Miss as well. He can catch it coming out of the backfield a little bit, and that's something he wants to do more of this year. Kiffin said today he thinks the quarterback room that he's got is the deepest that he's had since he's been in Ole Miss. So we'll kind of see what what it ends up looking like at Ole Miss this year. It's got to be difficult not to want to just turn around and give it to Judkins every single play. Uh, he he is, is in my opinion as dynamic as anybody uh, right now in college football. Yeah, I mean he had 274 carries last year. He's going to blow past 300 this year. I mean he's going to be in the 300s. I mean when when all is said and done, because that's going to be their big offense. I mean, again, he caught 15 passes coming out of the backfield, but he's going to blow past 300 carries this year. And, you know, again, I I, I think that that's their offense. Um, you know, until until I see some quarterback play, I, I, I question whether or not they're going to be able to do a lot uh, in the passing game. Let's, uh, and, let's, and the other thing, mm-hmm. the other thing about them, John, real quick, that I think is maybe a little bit of a head scratcher. You know, Pete Golding caught so much flack at Alabama for his defenses, uh, and I think maybe he kind of saw the writing on the wall and got out while he could. But Pete Golding is now the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. I'm interested to see, given you know, look, you, you don't have a Will Anderson on this on this Ole Miss defense. What kind of a defense can he put together there? I think that's going to be something to watch for them as well. Let's uh, let's switch over to a team that you know uh, pretty well in Tennessee. Look, I uh, you know I love uh, Josh Heupel. I, I think he's a terrific coach, and I thought he did so many terrific things last year. And and look, he had a stud in Hendon Hooker. He got the most out of Hendon Hooker um, last year. Joe Milton, obviously, he's got a lot of talent. He was the starter, you know there. Can they recapture the magic? I mean, that was a that was not a good season for for Tennessee. That was a magical season for Tennessee, and, and just where they finished and and eleven and two overall. You know, there was so much magic in the air, and yeah, I know they they got beat up by Georgia, but still, though, you know that was that was a magical run. What can they do to kind of recapture that? Where where now all of a sudden we get back to what Tennessee football is supposed to be? That was great for a year. But, you know, we've been used to seeing Tennessee football in our lifetime be, you know, one of the best teams in all of America. Yeah, and, and I think they can. I, I think they can. Uh, I think they can do that again. I mean, I, I think they can be right there with Georgia uh, in the East. Now, it's going to come down to what version of Joe Milton do you get? We know the kid's got a cannon for an arm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he may have the strongest arm 
uh, in, in college football. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The, the question is, can he can he take uh, two questions about him? One, can he take a little bit off some of those throws so that not everything is a you know is a Nolan Ryan fastball? That's one. And then the second thing is, John, I still go back to when he was the starter at Tennessee and he ran out of bounds against Ole Miss with no time left on the clock. I, I, I can't mentally unsee that mm-hmm. in watching that game that night. What was it now two years ago? I, I just can't. And so – for as good as Hendon Hooker was last year, and people want to talk about the numbers and the accuracy and all that, yes, yes, yes. But, man, Hendon Hooker was so darn good in clutch moments last year for Tennessee. Just go back and watch the end of the Alabama game. He went at the big moment. He came through for Tennessee last year. Can Joe Milton do the same thing? Because in that game against Ole Miss, that was the, that, that was the mustard bottle game, right? Yeah. Joe Milton wilted when it was on the line. We need to see whether or not he can do that again. If he can, uh, if, if he can have a little bit of that Hendon Hooker magic late in games, then, hey, maybe Tennessee's got a shot to be able, again, to at least be in that conversation again. Uh, I, don't, I don't – look, Georgia's roster is way, way better than anybody else's in the conference. But if, you know, Tennessee can still be in that conversation – and challenge Georgia, finish second in the East. I think that would be uh, you're starting to build something if you're Josh Heifel. Getting all of this crap that has floated over this program for the last two years with the NCAA allegations now, finally being able to put that stuff to bed, I think really has kind of lifted a little bit of a load off. I also don't think that it is pure coincidence that five days after that announcement is made, Tennessee gets a commitment from a five-star wide receiver. Chris, so yeah. I think that's going to help them in recruiting a lot too. Chris, I'll leave you with this uh, nugget too. Um, you know, to your point, um, he's, I mean, he's a career 57.8% passer uh, completion percentage-wise. That number's got to skyrocket this year. Like if, if Tennessee's going to get back to where they need to be, He's got to be much better than a basically a 50-50 quarterback as far as his yeah. completion percentage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no doubt. Chris, uh, you did a great job uh, this week. Uh, you and Garrett both, uh, thank you so much for, for being a part uh, of the show. And, uh, listen, um, you know, we, uh, we thank you so much for your time and Garrett's time uh, up there. So you can follow Chris on his personal Twitter page, at ChrisGoForth1. You can hear him pre-post in halftime for Atlanta Falcons Radio Network, and he joined me here on the waitfor.com hotline. Chris, appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk again here hey, soon. Hey, man. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon, man. You got it. All right. There you go. Uh, Chris and Garrett doing a great job up at SEC Media Days. All right. When we get back, it will be time for That's Life. You know, a couple of, uh, you know, beautiful women that are back on the marketplace, you know. You know, day-day things are looking up, you know. <laughs> Chuck Green, the Kia Studios. Sports Radio, not to the game, the Odyssey.com app.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back at it, Chuck Show, 9.23, live from the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 404-726-0929. Oh, that is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. On Twitter, at JMCH316. He's at Lewis for real. How about this story, Day Day? An 82-year-old collector named Terry thought that his brother had thrown out his old baseball card collection. Well, earlier this year, Terry's brother found the cards in an old cheese box where they had apparently been safely stored for decades. In this collection, there was a raw 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle. After the collection was found, the mantle was sent off to PSA, where it graded out a 6 in its grade. Last week, Terry's PSA 6 hit the auction block, and it sold for $186,000. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. Can you stop bringing up these stories? Terry, <laughs> Terry says he'll split the cash with his brother. A pasteurized cheese box that these cards were stored in for decades. Wow. And, um, yeah. I know it's probably not worth it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I've got this full set of... So do you remember like around 2000... I guess it had to be about 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. ESPN put out like this series of Topps cards. Oh, okay. I'm going to go through them and just see. Yeah, I mean, look... I'm just going to... Because I got one box. I got a full full set. And So you can go like on Beckett.com, B-E-C-K-E-T-T, that's uh-huh. Beckett Collectibles. Right. Um, and you can get price guides and stuff like that for cards. Okay. Like the, I mean, I I, I, I get the I get price ca- guides for baseball cards. Mm-hmm. I get price guides for non sport cards. Like I can I can get pricing on like my James Bond autograph okay. cards. So yeah, um, I'm, you can get I'm, a lot of everything. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna give it a go because when I originally got the set, the guy that gave it to me, he was like, I mean, you can have it. He was like, it's probably not going to be anything in here, you know, because at that time, right. 
as we looked through, it was guys that were pretty much. Well, again, is it if it's 2001? Right. Okay. If it's 2001, the rookie cards of Ichiro and Albert Pujols are uh, are in 2001. Right. So if it is 2001, if they're baseball players, look. Those are guys that that would have some value because they right. would be rookie cards for for Ichiro and Albert Pujols. Right. That's the class of the 2001 trading card. Right. Right. Um, you know, groups. So yeah, I'm gonna hey, give you it never a go. know. Yeah, Listen, never know. I'm I, again, I don't. <laughs> I don't know that I have a hundred eighty-six thousand dollar card just lying around. Right. But but listen, I, um, I again, you know, maybe in maybe in five decades or something like that, it'll be um, yeah, it'll be worth something. So so have you seen that Sofia Vergara mm-hmm. and Ariana Grande are both getting divorced? Supposedly Ariana Grande is dating somebody, already. one of her co-stars. Yeah, one uh-huh. of her co-stars uh, already. So. Uh, look, things are looking up, you know. As, she, um, um, Ariana, she, um, she moves quickly. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She moves yeah, quickly. No, she's not going to stay single for very long. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, again, um, it felt like some of these marriages, like for her, were like phony. marriages and relationships. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like phony, fake. I mean, you know, but. Uh, but a lot of people were surprised that Sofia Vergara is. Yeah, because they've been together for a while. Right? Well, I, I think the story is is that he wanted kids and she didn't, and, and I think that's what the story is is coming out now. That uh, I think they were married for like seven years or something like that. Right. But stories coming out that maybe she didn't want kids, he wanted kids, and um, you know that was that was it. And, and look, um, well, how about this again? Uh, I know it's Sofia Vergara, but don't you have those conversations before you get married or? Yeah, but you know, people always think they can change a person's mind. Right, right, and it is Sofia Vergara. Right. So, so, so you like, like every time, <laughs> like every time you wake up and look over there, it's like, okay, I can live with, you know, I can right. live with all that, you right. know. Plus that your it, plus your bank account is pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think wasn't he an actor or something like that? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. so I'm, but I'm just saying, you like know. Joe, like he, what's his name, Joe Bag of Donuts or <laughs> yeah. something like that. So, um, anyway, um, all fun, but uh, yeah. So a couple of. Uh, Couple of lovely young ladies that are uh, on the marketplace um, nowadays. Um, happy birthday today to Peter Forsberg, who is one of my favorite hockey players of all time. One of the great two-way players in NHL history uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, one of the great players, both on offense and on defense. So I threw Day Day a curveball here tonight with our top ten list. So I'm asking for Day Day's top ten. Favorite hockey players of all time. Let's see if Day-Day's got 10 hockey players. Um, Day-Day, the floor is yours. All right, well, I'll be real. I have nine. Okay. Because <laughs> um, for me, you know, full disclaimer, I probably didn't really kind of start paying attention to hockey until, I guess that was, what, late 80s when Wayne Gretzky mm-hmm. hit L.A. Sure. Um, so with that being said, on my list, of course, I've got the great Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. I've got Mario Lemieux, mm-hmm. Sid the Kid, Alex Ovechkin. Um, believe it or not, I got Brett Hall. Oh, I've got Brett Hall on my list. Yeah. I love Brett Hall. Yeah. yeah. Well, so for me, the 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 point of when I was really kind of locking in was when Detroit and New Jersey were kind of the two yes. top dogs. Yes. Um. So Brett Hall, uh, Patrick Kane, Bobby mm. Orr. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, uh, I, I always messed up his last name. Iserman. He's Iserman. And then um, Scott Stevens, because, again, Jersey, the Devils yes. and Detroit. So there you go. 
Nice, nice. Not too bad, right? Okay, so that's good. Um, so I really got into my hockey fandom mm-hmm. come mid-late 90s or okay. almost early 2000s. So most everybody that's my favorite player played somewhere around that era. That, that kind of era. So um, I've got John LeClaire, okay. uh, part of the Legion of Doom with uh, with um, Rod Brindamore and um, uh, Eric Lindros, mm-hmm. uh, that line in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They were called the Legion of Doom. Uh, my favorite goalie of all time is Martin Brodeur. So you're talking about New Jersey. Right. You know, obviously yep. them in, in Detroit, but he was the New Jersey Devils mm-hmm. um, uh, goalie for a long time. I've got Brett Hall on my list as well. I always mm-hmm. like Brett Hall. I Again, I didn't see Bobby Hall and right. all those guys, nope. and his, you know, uh, father playing all that stuff, but but I love Brett Hall. Um, you had Lemieux. I had Yager. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I love Yarmir Yager. Okay. I, th- I thought, again, one of the great players of all time. Peter Forsberg's on my list. And, and actually – Peter Forsberg's on my list, and his teammate, Joe Sackick, who I loved. Joe Sackick, probably my second favorite hockey player of all time. Um, I've got Paul Correa and T. Mussolini. Okay. And so they played for the Anaheim Ducks. The Ducks, okay. Yeah. Um, when the Ducks were good, they, they paired up, and they were one of the best front lines in hockey. They were scoring machines. Like, Correa was – I think Correa's – look up Paul Correa's um, – Paul Correa's stats, I think he had a, I want to say he had at least one 60-goal season, and he might have even had a season where he scored more than that. But I think he had at least one 60-goal season. Paul Correa, Canadian. Um, so I, I, he had some monster years in uh, in Anaheim and then partnered up with Timu Solani. He was a Finnish uh, player, but he was also a mega goal scorer and I just I love those guys and, and just again the Anaheim Ducks were not necessarily a really good team but they were fun to watch. Yeah like, with were, Anaheim he had uh he had back to back seasons where he had forty plus goals. So he okay. had forty four and one in, in uh ninety six ninety seven and then he had fifty in ninety five ninety six. He had forty two in ninety nine two thousand a couple back to back thirty plus seasons uh two thousand one and two thousand two yeah, he was rolling. Yeah, I'm surprised. I I thought he had even a higher um, season than than 50 goals because um, it felt like he was like a he was one of the guys that was a 60 goal scorer. But 50 goals is is nothing to to sneeze at. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm looking at it right here uh, now. 50 goals in 95, 96. That was um, that was a high water mark. But again, you you get to 40 goals, 40, 50 goals. That's a that's a stout number. Uh, Pavel Bure. Um, the Russian Rocket, um, as he was known as. Um, I love some of those Russian players, Sergei Fedorov, Pavel Bure. Uh, and then my favorite player of all time, believe it or not, and you had him on your list. Do you know who it is? Any any guesses? It's not Gretzky or Lemieux. Iserman. Steve Iserman, my favorite <laughs> player. He's my favorite player of all time. I, 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 loved, I loved Detroit yes. and Colorado in those days where they hooked up. So much star power mm-hmm. on the ice, and those teams really went at it. Like they were, they had so many good battles. Yeah, and uh, I loved Colorado and and um, uh, uh, Detroit when they would hook up. And again, Iserman, Sergey Fedorov, mm-hmm. um, uh, Brandon Shanahan. I mean, those teams were just loaded yeah. with talent. And uh, Iserman's my favorite player, man. I mean, one of the great two-way players in uh, in hockey history. So. 
Um, what a great player. So, all right, that was good. That was, uh, that was I, fun. Wanted to, I wanted to try to throw you for a <laughs> loop uh, in all of that. So, um, I'm, you know, I was going to maybe ask you, you know, Sofia Vergara, you know, where she ranks. <laughs> but anyway, um, won't get into all of that. All right, when we come back, Will Gray joined us earlier to preview the British Open. What he had to say, our golf guy expert, up next, Chuck Reed, the Key Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 92.9, the game, back at a Chuckery show, hanging out in the Kia Studios on this Thursday evening with you. It is a um, miserable Thursday night uh, out there as uh, thunder, lightning, and massive rain is uh, rolling all through midtown uh, Atlanta right now. But we won't get our spirits dampened because we've got the British Open here for the next uh, few days, and let's head out to the waitfor.com hotline. He is our guy that we always turn to, Will Gray, editorial lead for the PGA Tour overseeing Golf Bet, your hub for all things betting on golf. And he is on Twitter, at Will Gray Golf Bet, and joins me here on the waitfor.com hotline, Atlanta's Ford dealer. Will, as always, buddy, appreciate it. Thank you for a few minutes in Atlanta. Yeah, no problem, Chuck. Always good to be with you. So let's talk about the course. And obviously, you know, we always get into this tournament and – you know, again, weather can always play a factor. Sometimes it's really hot and dry, and the course courses play really fast. Um, it could be rainy. I mean, what do we expect the weather forecast to be for this weekend, and what will this kind of course play like over the weekend? The weather forecast is pretty tame for open standards, but that doesn't mean it's, it's calm by any means. Uh, as we saw today, you know, a little bit of firmness, a little bit of wind here or there can really make a difference on this course, you know, this is only the third time that this uh, place, Royal Liverpool, has hosted the Open since 1967. So it's not one that we see a ton. 2014, when Rory won, was the last time that this tournament was held there. So there's a lot of learning going on from players and fans alike. And I think that the, the returns from today were, uh, you know, there are a couple of birdies out there here or there. But for the most part, this is a stern test. And uh, as you saw with some of those scores near the bottom of the standings, it can get away from you pretty quickly. You know, is is sort of the reputation of this course that, you know, sometimes maybe the quality isn't there or weather has a real effect on this course? I mean, is that sort of the, the reputation that Royal Liverpool has had? A little bit. I mean, in 2006, uh, when it came back there and Tiger won, it was super burnt out and brown and, and very, very dry. Um, in 2014, when Rory won, it was a little bit softer. So they, that was, you know, they went on both sides of the spectrum there. But I think that this week, the, the focus, and especially in the first round we saw it play out, is really on these bunkers. I mean, these bunkers are no joke. If you get in there, they're very flat. And they've got these thick rake marks, and they're really playing like penalties and, and hazard areas. We saw Tony Finau basically putt a ball in the bunker just for different spots to be able to get out. John Rahm, Justin Thomas, they're all playing backwards. Rory had a crazy par on 18 out of the sand. So, uh, you know, add in the, the OB and the out of bounds that lurks uh, near the 18th fairway. And this is one where, yeah, if you keep it on the straight and narrow, you're going to have some birdie chances. But as soon as you stray, once you're in that sand, uh, you're going to have a tough time saving par. 
Well, let me let me ask you a question just just from your personal perspective. Um, you know, do you like major tournaments where there's kind of the Cinderella story or underdog or things like that, or do you like to see the greats, you know, and and see the greats play in the final round and for the you know chance to win a championship? Because again, it, when you look at this leaderboard, I know it's early, and again, it's only only the first round, but again, when Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark are the highest, you know, uh, Americans, you know, in this tournament so far, um, you know, it's not exactly a who's who of golf royalty uh, in the leaderboard right now. Do you personally like the better players or do you like the underdog sort of Cinderella stories? I would kind of liken it to March Madness. Uh, you know, you always root for those those underdog upsets in the the first couple of rounds, and then by the time you get to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, you want to see the blue the blue blood mm-hmm. programs kind of duke it out. And and I think that that's what we're going to see here. That yes, you know, Harmon and Wyndham Clark are among the highest ranked Americans right now, but Scotty Scheffler's right there, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, the names that you know are lurking just a couple shots back from there. And I think that the further along that we go, the more the cream is going to rise to the top. And you know, if you look at the winners that we've had at this course before, it's Tiger and Rory, and, and nine years ago it was Ricky Fowler was in the mix. And so I, I think eventually by the end of the week, we're going to see the the big names start to to show up. And, you know, you've got an amateur, Christo Lamprex, that's, that's leading. I, I would say that's like your 15 over two upset uh, that you, you get in the first round. I don't know that I'm going to expect his name at the top of the leaderboard come Saturday. But honestly, if he's there, if we have like a Tom Watson situation, you know, all the better. Then that would be an all-timer story, and that's that's cool for a different reason. But I do think that uh, the further along we go, the cream's going to rise to the top, and I think players, especially guys like Scotty Scheffler, uh, are going to work their way up the board. Golf analyst Will Gray joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. So you're obviously involved with golf bets. So give me a couple of long shots that you think play into this course pretty well. Are, are there a couple of guys that we should be looking out for that aren't household names or maybe long shots on the betting uh, lines that uh, could do some damage this weekend? I mean, I really think that Brian Harmon is someone that's going to be there uh, for a while. You know, he's someone that has won twice in the PGA Tour, a bit of a veteran, a left-handed player. Um, and he has sneakily gotten into about the top 30 in, in the world and, and doesn't have a ton of, of name recognition, but has put up some big results in some big events. So uh, he's in that mix around three under. I think he's going to stick around. For sure, you know, he was uh, in the 30 to 40 to 1 range for a while. I think I saw him get down to about 18 to 1. So I, I think that if you're looking at the board and trying to figure out, you know, where's the cutoff, it's a little early to do that. But I did see my, my former colleague, Justin Ray, had a great stat that I think since 1970, 96% of the Open Championship winners have been within five shots of the lead after round one. So you really want to look at that group that's under par as, as probably producing your winner. Yes, maybe someone that shot two or three over today could put together a 64 or 65 tomorrow and get back into it. But by and large, we've seen this course, uh, you know, has very thin margins around the edges. So I think that you're probably looking at those guys that did open in the 60s or maybe someone that's one under at 70 like Scheffler or Brooks Kepka. Uh, that those are the guys that eventually are going to be uh, hoisting the Claret Jug. Is there one of the big names that you think this course does not favor? I mean, I, you know, again, you mentioned the fact that the last time it was here in 2014, Rory was the winner, and we've kind of been, you know, on Rory watch, it feels like, for a while now. But is there one of the big-name players that you think that this course does not favor very much? Uh, Not entirely. I mean, I will say that it doesn't have a a ton of room to miss off the tee. I was a little surprised to see Cam Smith, the defending champion, uh, shoot over par today. He's so good on and around the greens. But 
Uh, he was playing catch up for most of the day, but you know, I, I actually think you look at someone like Spieth. It was a full Jordan Spieth experience today, right? He had a bunch of parties. He also had a double bogey where he shanked one out of the rough, out of bounds when he was trying to trying to hack it out. So uh, there, there's always going to be some high variance whenever Spieth uh, comes to the course. We saw him, uh, you know, win this tournament six years ago at Royal Birkdale, and that was a roller coaster then too. But I think the, the longer this goes, the more likely it is that he's going to get stung by maybe a wayward tee shot. Uh, or, or end up in a double or triple bogey, which we've seen a lot of guys um, fall, fall to today. Uh, certainly, I, I think that's going to continue as the week progresses. You know, Rory's going to be right there in the mix. He's playing so well coming off the Scottish Open. John Rahm is someone that uh, I think, you know, there's, he could play on the moon, and John Rahm is going to be among the four or five favorites. Uh, so I, I think that he's, he's someone that could be poised to make one of those rallies. And then Scheffler's right there. I mean, if Scotty Scheffler putts decently, he's going to win a tournament by four or five shots very soon, and it could be as recently as, as this week. You know, Will, I hate to jinx it, but, I mean, one of the nice things about this tournament going into this weekend is there really doesn't feel like the angst, um, you know, with the divide of live golfers and PGA Tour golfers and all of the kind of side stories. It really does feel like that this is maybe the first major where we can just really focus on golf. Like, um, And, again, even with all the uncertainty – it still feels like that this is a weekend that really is about just the game of golf and we can focus on it, and we really don't have so much of the background noise of all of the stories that have kind of, I guess, plagued uh, you know the world of golf over this past year, but we don't feel like we have those kinds of stories that are lingering right now for the tour. It's nice to focus on the golf, right, every yeah. now and then. I think that's been the key takeaway, not only this week, but of the four majors, is that you know it's so much better. It's, it's such a better product. It's such a better fan experience to have all the best players in the world playing these big events all together. And you don't want to have to hand out trophies with asterisks and things like that. And there are a lot of questions about, you know, the, the pro golf landscape and where we're going to go from here into 2024, maybe beyond. Uh, and I assure you, I have zero of those answers, but I can tell you that I agree with your sentiment that it's nice this week, you know, to have all the, the names that you know and, and recognize, and they're all starting at even par and going out and tackling the same course for the first tee and then you add them up at the end. And so uh, if we can get to a point where, where there's more of that and, and less of the, uh, the soap opera drama in the background, I think I'm all for it. Last uh, question for you. Um, you mentioned about Brian Harmon could be uh, a player in this whole thing. Do you think he can finish as the highest American uh, in this tournament? Uh, is he the guy to watch for on the American side? I, I mean, I think that uh, I, I still think Scotty Scheffler is, is probably going to work his way into the top five. So that's a high bar to hit. I mean, Scotty Scheffler hasn't finished worse than 12th in any golf tournament since October. It's just amazing how consistent he has been. I, I do think Harmon is someone from a betting perspective that could have some value. I, I think he's kind of in that mold that we saw last month at the U.S. Open with Wyndham Clark. No one really, including myself, expected Wyndham Clark to hang on like he did down the stretch, especially against the bigger names like Rory and Ricky Fowler. Uh, and he managed to pull it off. And, and honestly, he, he surprised me again today to be able to – to turn it around and he's once again on, on the leaderboard. Usually it takes a few months for those guys to, to get used to the extra weight of being a major champion. We didn't see that today from Wyndham Clark. We'll see how it goes uh, tomorrow and through the weekend. But yeah, I think if you're looking at the board and trying to figure out, you know, Tommy Fleetwood is a co-leader. He's now the consensus betting favorite. Scheffler's right behind him where it started out as Scheffler and Rory kind of on even footing. I think Harmon's someone that, that could be interesting. And, and I don't think it's a fluke that he, he put together a pretty good round today. I expect more of that out of him the rest of the week. Editorial lead overseeing Golf Bet, your hub for all things golf betting, part of the PGA Tour. 
Will Gray join us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. You can follow him on his personal Twitter page. He'll have all of your action all weekend long at Will Gray Golf Bet. Will, as always, buddy, appreciate a few minutes uh, in Atlanta. We always enjoy talking to you. And, uh, listen, we will talk to you here as the uh, tournament will eventually get here to, um, you know, Atlanta, and uh, we'll chat again then. Oh, for sure. We'll be in your neck of the woods here in, in a few weeks. It's coming up quick. Always good chatting with you, John. You got it. Appreciate it, Will. Chuck in the Kia Studios. Sports Radio, 929 The Game, the Odyssey.com app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.